Well, today we're going to continue in our series. It's called Unknown God. We've been walking through this, uh, uh, this season of talking about the things that we've learned from Acts chapter 17 as well as from Scripture that, that clearly indicate to us the importance of focusing on the right things. Now, you know in that passage in Acts chapter 17, Paul was walking through the city. He notices all the, the altars there. He notices there's one to the unknown God. He uses that as an opportunity to begin talking about the one unknown God, which is the true, one true God. And that is, of course, the God that we speak of, the God of the Bible. And so we've been walking through over these last couple of weeks the, the same things that we do that they did back in ancient Athens, where they created all of these gods in their... In in their culture and in their society that they lived their life for, that they bowed down to. And here we are today in 2020, we do the exact same things. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the God of pleasure. Last week, we talked about the God of materialism or the God of stuff, that we create this idea that we want stuff, that we need more and more and more. Today, we're going to continue and we're going to talk about not the God of stuff, we're going to talk about the God of status, the idea that we want to be somebody. That we want people to notice us, that we want people to like us, that we want to be accepted, that we want to have power, that we want uh, some level of, uh, of people being able to look at us and put us on a pedestal. And we all, let's be honest with, you, with, with, us, with ourselves, we all struggle in this area too. And you've noticed that as we've walked through these last couple of weeks, it's, it's a pretty common thing that all of us face the issues that we've spoken of. And today as we talk about the God of status, you bet we, we struggle in this area. You bet we have a challenge in this area because we all like to be accepted. We all want to feel like, like people like us and, and, and people celebrate us. And, and yes, that people would put us on a pedestal. We want that idea. And it goes back to the earliest of childhood. Back when we were little kids, man, when the new toys came out, we had to have that toy. Whatever it was that they were putting on, uh, you know, the, the Saturday morning cartoons. By the way, how many remember Saturday morning cartoons, right? I mean, every Saturday morning we would get up and we would watch the cartoons and whatever, you know, the, car, the uh, commercial said that was the big deal, the new thing. I mean, we had to have it. And then we had to have it not so that we could, like, spend our time with it. It's so that we could tell others that we had it. So we could take it to school and do show and tell so that we could make sure that we told our friends, you know, that we got this new toy, this cool thing. And all of these things that we, we talked about were so important. We had to have it. Man, I remember back in those days, Evil Knievel was a big deal. How many remember Evil Knievel? Man, it was such a big deal. I had the shirts came. I had the red, white, and blue shirts with the big star in the middle. My mom bought me a bike that there was an evil Knievel bike. It actually had like a fake gas tank and it had all the red and white stripes there, man. I mean, and you had to have it because it was just cool. I got to be honest with you. I'm going to be completely transparent here. And I, I don't know how old I was when I did this. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't tell you because I was probably a little too old for me to be doing this. But there were times that I would actually go in and I would make a cape and I would put a cape on myself and wear the red, white, and blue shirt and I would ride that evil Knievel red white and blue bike and I would ride around my neighborhood and I've got to be honest with you I'm fairly certain this is accurate I was the coolest thing anywhere as I drove through drove around my neighborhood with that bike man I'm telling you I just know this there were there were people in that neighborhood that looked out the window and and they had to sit down because they were taken aback at how awesome it was that I was riding down up and down the streets of my neighborhood and I was absolutely evil with the cape and all. How many remember the cape? 
as if the cape would help him fly over those buses. He would wear the cape. And so, man, I had to, I did that. So why? Because, man, I just wanted to be cool. How many of you, when you were growing up, you wanted to be cool? Just raise your hand. Be honest. You wanted to be cool. And you did whatever it took to be cool. You did whatever you uh, could do to make sure that people, like, looked at you and noticed you and accepted you because you had to be just the center of attention. Now, listen. That's the God of status. That's the God that we create in our own lives that, man, we just want to be the center of everything. Now, here, here, here's the problem. The problem is, is that so often that transcends from childhood, which is, you know, it's, it's understood as a kid that we do those kinds of things. But what we do is we allow it to kind of pass over and pass through into adulthood. And we do the same types of things. But the problem is, is it's far more sinister when we allow it to continue on. Because you see, when we get to be adults and all we care about is being accepted, when we get to be adults and all we care about is, is being liked, when we get to adults and we want to be put on pedestals, when we want to have power, when we want to have status, when we want to have attention, that always, 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 let me say it one more time, always is a part of pride. It's basically the idea of, man, look at me, look at me. We might as well just wear a shirt around that just says, look at me, because that's all we are really looking for. That's all we really want is we want to be somebody. And the problem is, is according to God's word, when all we want to be is somebody, we take the attention off of the only one who is a somebody, and that is Christ himself, and we put it on ourselves. And that's the passage we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at today to talk about this God of status and how we can make sure that we don't fall victim to that idea, that we don't fall victim to that, that thing that has become so accepted in our culture, so accepted in society today. Everything is all about look at me. When you look at Hollywood, have you ever watched when they are they're coming in for the, uh, the award shows? And you know, like there's the award show, like whatever it is, whether it's the Emmys or whether it's the Oscars or whether it's the Grammys or, or whatever uh, award show it is. Have you ever noticed that they, you know, the biggest part of the show is not really the show itself. It's that red carpet thing that's outside before, right? And so, you know, they actually have shows that are longer than the actual show that show people walking into the show. And that's the show that people want to watch. And have you ever watched that show, the, the pre-show where the people are walking in show? It's so funny, and they've got it on all different networks. And what will happen is that the movie stars, uh, that they'll walk in and they'll come to a certain point in the, in the middle of the red carpet and they'll stop. And all the photographers are out here and all the cameras are out here and they're showing you know, them and they'll stop. And you know what they do, right? They stop and they have practiced this for hours and hours and hours on that day to make sure that they have the right pose so that when the cameras are shooting them, that they look perfect. And they'll come in. I'm going to do it, Charles. I'm going to do this. Okay. So they will come in. Normally, I would let Charles do this part of the show, but I'm going I'm to do it myself here. And so they will come in and they will walk down the, the red carpet. And then they'll get to the middle, and then they'll, they'll do this, as if it's the most comfortable thing in the world. And then they'll turn. I really should let Charles do this, because you do that pretty much every Sunday. No, no, okay. So, I'm, just, I'm sorry, Charles. <laughs> Forgive me for being truthful. Listen, it's... 
And so they will do all of these poses and they will do all these looks and they'll turn and they'll show every little angle and everything and, and they got to do this. And they do these smiles. Have you ever seen their smiles? The most fake smiles that you've ever seen in your, in your life. I mean, they're amazing, these smiles. That, it's like they, they probably had to have glue put into their cheeks, which they actually do, I think. And they will actually hold their face in the exact same position so that they can make sure that they are projecting that image so that when it goes out and it hits the cover of People Magazine or National Enquirer or whatever else, that they look exactly the way that they want to look because it's all about image. Let me just tell you something. That is the God of status. Because I can tell you I'm 54 years old and I can promise you I have never walked in a room to have a conversation with anybody and when I walked in and stopped to talk to somebody I went, I've never done that. I've never had that opportunity of, of stopping and standing in that way. You don't do that. You do it in a way so that you can try to look like something you are not. And that's what we fall victim to every day in our lives. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 20 and let's find out what Jesus said about this. What Jesus said about this idea of the God of status, okay? Matthew chapter 20, we're going to begin reading with verse 20. It says this, And the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons, and she knelt down to ask him for something. Now, I want to stop right there and, and just say, now, Zebedee's sons, it's James and John, they're the two of the disciples, you know the story, you go back when Jesus called them, and so you know who they are, and it says that the mom arrived with uh, her sons, and they came there, and probably when her mom, uh, when the mom came, probably the sons put her up to it. Got to be honest with you, I mean, it doesn't say this, and we're reading a little bit into the context of the passage here, it's not there, but it does kind of convey the image. Let me read this verse again. It says, and the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. And so I kind of have this idea. I don't know if I'm accurate or not. I might be wrong. When we get to heaven, you know, God may say, you know, you were wrong in that part of the sermon. But regardless, it kind of conveys the idea that, that James and John said, hey, mom, I need you to do something for me. I want you to go to Jesus and ask him this really important question, okay? So would you do this for us? And, and of course the mom would do anything for her children. Mom says, sure. So let's go on and see what she does. The mother of Zebedee's sons approached him, Jesus, with her son. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. And then she said, promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. So now the, the boys speak up, right? So you get the context here. So the mom asks the question. And when Jesus says, wait a minute, you don't know what you're asking for. Do you really think you can do this? And then the boys chime in. So they're not like saying, mom, stop that. This is embarrassing. Don't do this in front of Jesus. You're embarrassing us. They actually become part of the, 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 part of the, the request here. They're complicit in this. They say, we are able, they said to him. And then he told them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those uh, for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant. In other words, they were ticked. That's the biblical language of they were indignant. That means they were ticked, okay? The disciples were ticked off with the two brothers. But then Jesus called them over, all of them, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. 
On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." Now, you get the context, you can see this, I mean, as we read that passage, I don't think it's hard for us to kind of visualize what took place in that time, what took place in that moment. You can see it, I I can just see it in my mind, right? So Jesus is over here, he's with the disciples, they're hanging out, they're talking, they're doing stuff, Jesus has been teaching them, and and Mary, I mean, uh, the mother of Zebedee's sons, you know, James and John's mom is over here, and James and John, hey mom, seriously, we need you to do something. We need you to go over and talk to Jesus. And because, listen, I know this is what he would really want. Because John said, you know, I'm the disciple that Jesus really loved, right? I'm the one. I know he wants this, but I need you to kind of set the stage, just kind of like seal the deal for us, okay? So would you go and ask Jesus if we can sit at the right hand and the left hand when we get to his kingdom, when we get into his kingdom, that we could be the right and the left? Now, here's why that's important. Because in that culture, when the king was sitting on the throne, whoever sat at the right hand of the king was his number two in command. Like he was the number two man. I mean, he was like in charge except for the king himself. And whoever sat at the left of the throne, the left of the king, was the third in line, the, the third in control. So, you know, there was the right hand, which was the most important, and then the left hand, which was the second most important. And so James and John said, listen, that's where we ought to sit. And so we need you, Mom, to go over and, and, and to kind of you know, just make all this happen, just, just seal the deal. And so you can see as mom walks over to Jesus, James and John are kind of walking behind them, just kind of minding their own business, like, you know, we don't know what mom's up to here. We're just kind of walking along, you know, pushing her along. She gets to Jesus and she asks that question. And then when he says, well, you don't even know what you're asking, and then James and John immediately jump in. But, well, yeah, we we do. We, We can do this, right? So you can see exactly what's happening here. But in that moment... Jesus used this as an opportunity to teach a lesson to James and John that what you are seeking to do, what you desire, is nothing but destructive. And so we see in this passage that Jesus made it clear, used this as a teaching moment, which by the way, Jesus used every moment as a teaching moment. When you read through the Gospels and you see all of the things that Jesus did, there's no doubt, there's no question that Jesus used all of them to teach us something. And so here, he taught us something very important. Now the first thing that we get from this passage is this this idea that we we have a, a problem in our society, we have a problem in our culture, we have a problem in our church, we have a problem in our heart that we all have a longing for, a desire for status. When James and John's mom told Jesus, said these words to Jesus, promised, she said to him, that these two sons of mine, that they sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Now listen, she might have been made aware by James and John what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 19, because in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, uh, Jesus actually told the 12 disciples that when we come into the kingdom, that you're going to sit on uh, thrones and you're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, you know, she, she probably, James and John, encouraged her, told her, listen, this is what Jesus said a few minutes ago. Jesus said that we were going to sit on these thrones. We got to make sure that when we do, and there's 12 different, uh, you know, thrones around the, you know, the, the main throne around Jesus, we got to make sure that we're sitting at the right and the left here. We've got to make sure that we're sitting in the right spot. Now listen, in today's world, you and I and so many others, we long for that kind of attention. 
We long for that kind of belonging, that, 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 that place where we could be put in a position where it's status, it's something, it's like, it's a big deal. And man, we see it everywhere you, you turn. Every part of our culture, every part of our society is all about who we are and who we are, are, are thought of and what people think about us and, and how people elevate us. And so here she is, she's advocating for her sons to, this is where my sons belong. Again, it's as if she was saying, Look at my sons. James and John could have been standing right behind with big t-shirts and say, look at me. You know, I don't know if they had, you know, t-shirts back in those days that they could print on the t-shirts words. I don't know if they had it, but, but that's basically what was happening. It's like, look at me. Now, today, things are no different. Uh, many times, we all angle for positions. We all, you know, angle for status. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be powerful. We all want to have positions of influence, and we will fight for it. And whether it was when we were kids and we had to have the right, you know, sneakers, or we had to have the right clothes, the right shirts, the, you know, have, we had to have all of these different things where you had to have the right bicycles, or now when we've got to have the right phone, or we've got to have the right car, we've got to have the right house, we've got to have the right job, we've got to live in the right neighborhoods. It's all about about status. It's all about look at me. Now listen, what that leads to is for each and every one of us, when we fall into that trap, when that's something that we are focused on so intently, that we are creating in our lives the God of status. And you know, we've said it many times over the last few weeks, that God himself said these words, that you shall have no other God before me. And so whether it's the God of stuff, the God of materialism, whether it's the God of pleasure, or whether it's the God of status, anything that becomes of intrinsic value, that it comes, becomes of such importance to you, that you long for it, that you have to have it, that it is your focus, that's a God, and I can guarantee you that that will lead to destruction. And so Jesus, in this passage, you know, he recognizes this, this, this longing for, this problem that we all have for a desire for status. And then he begins to tell us, listen, that desire for status is nothing but an empty pursuit. Like what you're looking for is really not what you're looking for. What you're longing for is really not that big of a deal. Let's keep reading here, verse 22. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, here's what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about here is that they had a false sense of what greatness really is. That they had this false concept, this false idea of what greatness is all about. And so when Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for, because when you talk about this, uh, you know, are you able to really drink the same cup? Now, back in those days, when I talk about drinking from the cup, the idea of the cup back in those days was literally suffering. So cup was kind of a, a symbol of suffering. And so he's saying, are you willing to, are you ready to, are you able to suffer in the way that you're thinking, in the way that you're asking? Because you can't have what you want unless it comes through the, the cup of suffering, unless it comes through the, the, the pain of suffering. And so when they answer that question, hey, we're able to do this. Yes, of course we can do this. They, they had no idea that Jesus was speaking of his death on the cross. What Jesus was saying, listen, you don't know what you're asking for because very soon I will be nailed to a tree. I will give my life. I will die. So now do you want to be like part of my clan? <laughs> do you want to be part of what I'm talking about now? 
You see, Jesus is making it clear here that this whole idea of, of wanting status, wanting power, wanting position is an empty pursuit because what Jesus wanted to convey to them is that the path to grace, greatness is not found in status, it's found in serving. The path to greatness is not found in what you own, it's found in what you do. The path to greatness is not found in this concept, this idea of being elevated, but rather it's humbling yourself. And that's what Jesus was clearly talking about. And so he said, listen, this, this desire you have, this desire for status, it's an empty pursuit. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11 and 12, it says this, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now think about that statement he said, whoever exalts yourself, you will be humbled. In other words, if all you care about is elevating yourself, if all you care about is status, if all you care about is people looking at you and thinking you're great and thinking you're awesome and being accepted and being the coolest kid in the room, if that's all that you care about, what Jesus said, when you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Let's go back to Proverbs. Pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. And so Jesus was just echoing the words that come from the Old Testament, that come from the book of Proverbs, going all the way back that many years. He's saying, listen, if all you care about is exalting yourself and elevating yourself, let me just tell you something, that will lead to you being humbled. And probably a better translation here, probably a better concept would be this, is that if you try to exalt yourself, you will be humiliated, that you will be put down that you will be dismissed. And let me ask you a question. Is that not the narrative that we see in so many people's lives in this world that we live today? Of people who once had great power, politicians who were like large and in charge, but because of issues, because of challenge, because of, of pride, that later we find out that they end up losing everything. Some of them go to jail because they, they have this idea that it's all about me. I read the story yesterday of a former congressman from California who was a very powerful congressman, of somebody who had a lot of power, a lot of status. I mean, he had position in Washington. I mean, he had a lot of influence. And that influence and that power and that status began to get to his mind, and it created this idea in his heart that he was something, that he was somebody, that he was a big deal. And just this week, he actually cut a deal with the U.S. attorney in California and he is now headed off to jail for 11 months because he allowed his power, his status, and his position to get the best of him. So what did Jesus say? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But now what was the other side of that? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But then did you see what Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 23? He said this, whoever humbles himself will then be exalted. So you see the picture here, right? That Jesus was making very clear that this idea, that this, this, this formula for success, this formula for, you know, being, being exactly everything that you could ever want to be according to God's plan and God's desire and God's word is just simply this, is that your success, your status, your value is not found in status, it is found in serving. It is found in putting yourself in the place of a humble servant. In fact, he went on in this passage to make that even more clear. After he told us that it's an empty pursuit, then he gives us the right way. 
And then, so let's go back to Matthew chapter 20. Let's read verses 25 and, uh, through 27. It says this, But Jesus called them over, and he said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. Now, here's what he's saying. You've seen what the world does. That's basically what he's saying here, right? Jesus is saying, you've seen what the world does. You've seen what the people in power over there do, right? Like, they have power, and they have status, and here's what they do. They lord it over everybody. They want people to bow down down to them. They want people to celebrate them. They want people to exalt them. They want people talking about them. They want to be on the cover of People magazine. They want to be on the, you know, in the the evening news entertainment tonight. They want to be, you know, featured there. They, They want to be the people that everybody is talking about. They want to have the most Twitter followers and the most Instagram likes and the most Facebook, you know, the largest number of Facebook friends. That's what they want. And so you know, you see what they do, Jesus said. But listen to what he says, and I want you to underline this in your Bible if you can. It must not be like that among you. Let me read that again. Jesus' words, not mine. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Can you imagine what James and John must have felt like in that moment? Because remember now, James and John probably got their mom to go over and say, "Uh, Jesus, you see my boys here? Can you make sure that they're at the right hand and the left hand of your throne when you get into your kingdom? Then when Jesus questions them, James and John, like, hey, we can do this. We're we're able. Yeah, here's my hand. I'm in. And then Jesus goes on to say, listen, you've seen what the world does. The world does what James and John, what you're doing right now. And so that must have made them feel like really small. But then he went on to say, and if any of you really want to be great... You have to actually be the servant. If you want to be great, you need to be the slave. And just as I, now listen, here's what he's saying. He actually calls himself the son of man. In other words, he's basically saying to James and John, guys, listen, I am God. And I did not come to be served, but rather I came to serve. And to give my life for all. Can you imagine what James and John must have felt like right then? Because Jesus had just called them out. He had just clearly put them in their place. And I can guarantee you that that, that James and John probably felt like they were like six inches tall. I mean, they probably felt like, man, we just blew it. We're going to get fired. We're out of here. Jesus is going to call a staff meeting, and he is going to give us, uh, you know, give us a, a severance package, and we're gone because we just blew it right there because we just challenged Jesus like we wanted to be something, and we wanted to be somebody, and God himself just told us, listen, dude, I'm God, and I didn't come here to ask for what you're asking for. I'm God, and I didn't come here to be elevated. I'm God. I didn't come here to be exalted. I came here 
to serve. Now let's personalize it. Because probably every person in this room at some point in your life has been in a place where you kind of feel pretty good when people are making you feel pretty good. There's probably been a time in your life where, man, it's, you know, man, people are noticing me. When I was riding up and down the streets of my neighborhood, when I had my cape on, dude, I was awesome. I'm, I'm certain of it. I was awesome. I mean, I was so cool. And again, I'm not going to tell you how old I was because it's just embarrassing. But man, I was cool. And there have been times, and everyone in this room, in this person's, uh, in rooms, in every person in this room, at some point in your life, you've been at that place where you felt, man, I'm pretty awesome. Man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty cool. I mean, people like me. Man, look at what I'm getting. Look what I have. Look what people are talking about, what they're noting. I mean, this is awesome. And look at me. Look at me. And Jesus said, excuse me, I'm God. I created you. I created everything. I'm a lot cooler than you are. And I didn't come to be served. So why do you think you deserve this? It's a pretty convicting message, isn't it? It's a pretty convicting thought that Jesus gives to us. Yes, James and John, I'm sure have felt like, you know, they just had totally blown it. But I mean, what about us? I mean, has there been a time in your life where you feel like, okay, I'm thinking back, yeah, I blew it too. Man, I, <laughs> I messed up. That was bad. That was wrong. Because all of us create in our own journeys and in our own lives this God of status. Like, it's all about me. Look at me. When we were kids, we did it and we thought it was cute. We get to be adults and we do it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you want to be exalted, be humble. I really feel like that the church, not just this church, but the church in general, the body of Christ around the world, has been hampered in its ability to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because so many of us have embraced the God of status because we want to be liked and we want to be accepted and we want to be celebrated. It's time for us to to turn it down a notch, to go back to what Jesus said and recognize, no, 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 if you want to be great, if you want to accomplish, if you want to be successful, stop worrying about being celebrated and start focusing on being faithful. Because that's what Jesus himself came to do. That's why he drank that cup of suffering when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. That's why he was nailed to a tree. He didn't have to do that. He could have come up with a million other ways to to provide a, a hope and provide forgiveness. But no, no, no. There had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Jesus died, became the ultimate slave for you and me so that we could be exalted through his humility. So listen, guys, it's time for us to turn it back to that because that's what Jesus said. 
The God of status will always lead to destruction. The God of service will always lead to his throne. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way that you speak to us when we need it. And we all need this, God. We all struggle. We all have a challenge. We have a problem with this idea of wanting to be somebody and wanting to be accepted. God, it's it's a challenge. We know it. But God, I pray right now that we would recognize and understand the value of doing exactly what Jesus said, that if we want to truly be great, that we must serve. God helps to recognize that truth. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, as we come to this next few moments where we sing together, where we celebrate who Christ is together, our team is going to be gathered here in a moment around this altar, and our altar's open. You might want to come down here, just kneel at this altar, and just say, God, man, I, I want to get things right. I want to turn things around. I want to be in the right position. I want to stop focusing on me, and I want to start focusing on you. Maybe you want to come down here and recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. He died, was buried, and rose again. And by believing in Him, calling on His name, you will be saved. Maybe today you need to come down and just talk with one of our team members here. Just say, listen, I I want to know Jesus. Maybe you want to kneel here and just pray for forgiveness. Maybe you want to come and pray for a friend. Maybe you want to come and join our church. Whatever God is speaking to you, if you're watching right now, maybe you want to connect with us online, or maybe you want to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you to talk about what this really means. Because remember what Jesus said. You must be a servant. Because Jesus himself did not come to be served, but rather to serve. And so let's stand together right now. The altar's open. And if God is speaking to you in this moment, if God is telling you that you've kind of mixed this thing up, just like James and John did. You're in pretty good company, by the way, because James and John are good people. But they messed it up, and I can guarantee you we do the same. And so today, if you want to turn that thing around, I just encourage you in this moment, to step out and come to this altar. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.